because the internet waves will come. What do you mean in. they're gonna open the door? Because I'm in a room, and internet so now I've, op- I've, op- I've opened their door, and the internet waves will now come into the room how, a lot do more. Do you know how internet works? Yeah, man. Do you live on the moon? <laughs> no, man. I live at the bottom of the earth. Welcome back to The Streets Will Remember. I'm your host, Justin Salhani. I'm Hani Jabber, and that is a dog thing to do. Hani was supposed to start the episode, but he failed like three times, so I I did a coup. I mutinied and took it over. I didn't fail. I was censored. I don't believe in freedom of speech anyways. Um, so, Hani, how you doing? I'm doing well, thank you. Uh, things in Australia are, are very strange at the minute, but... Besides that, football is back or coming back, and um, it it never it's left. Weird. The day after the Champions League, there were French league games. So strange. Like and my whole Neymar went off and partied and got COVID. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's not funny, but like it's just so bizarre and, and stupid. It's interesting that during the league seasons or like the ending of these league seasons, no one got COVID, and now like everyone's getting COVID. From the, from well, the professional I mean, leagues. if you remember, Mikel Arteta had COVID, and then a guy in France actually fell into a coma or something from COVID, and I think he woke up and he was okay. But look at this. I'm re- going to read a tweet here from a friend of mine, Jonathan Johnson, and he says, official, if 20 players and at least one goalkeeper out of a squad list of 30 test negative for COVID-19, professional matches in France will no longer be postponed. Now, this is the calamity... <laughs> of the world that we're in now. If two thirds of your players don't have COVID, we can play professional football games. Like what, what reality, what timeline are we in? There's yeah, like those types of policies, you, you sit there and you look at them and you go, who's making these decisions? Like there was, there was a, a very similar story here in Australia where they had the A-League, they moved all the A-League teams to Sydney. One of the teams needed to fly back to Brisbane and they were in a controlled hub the entire time. Like they only had certain people they can see. Everyone was being tested every two, three days or whatever it might be. And they still had to go to Brisbane and spend 14 days in quarantine in the hotel before they could go back to their normal lives. Like who made that policy up? Why do they need to spend 14 days in a hotel quarantine where they're not allowed to leave their room for 30 min- more than 30 minutes a day? This is the system that we've built. Uh, this is capitalism where we need football more than health. And uh, speaking of capitalism, somebody who's made a lot of money throughout their football career. What a transition. <laughs> Ooh. Today we're talking about Didier Drogba, the man that lived in the minds of a lot of Premier League clubs, but specifically uh, Philippe Senderos' mind. So my memories of Drogba really started when the transfer rumors started circulating that you know this Ivorian player from Marseille was going to be joining Chelsea and I think there was a bit of a, a clamor in the transfer market to try to get him to sign for you know you know the typical clubs you know United etc that was my first ever memory of Drogba I've n- I don't think there's many players that I would say I enjoyed watching so much but still feared like anytime Arsenal came up against Chelsea I was afraid of what Drogba could do to the team but at the same time it was so enjoyable to watch him play and in terms, of, in terms of my memories of him, I think it all sort of culminates around that 2012 Champions League final against Bayern Munich. And then obviously Ivory Coast. There's just so much. Like he's, he's, 
he's one of the legends that I'll probably remember for, you know, until I'm 60, whatever it might be, 70, when I'm, you know, telling my kids about football and football players. What were your memories of Didier Drogba? To be honest, I really didn't like Drogba for a long time because I felt he was like super arrogant, especially towards like Thierry Henry. I think it was the fact that Drogba was the face of that Chelsea team, on-field manifestation of Mourinho principles. So actually today, I really like Drogba. I still dislike Petr Cech, and I really dislike Frank Lampard, and I really, really, really dislike John Terry. I think I agree with you with the fact that when Didier Drogba first sort of came and that whole like Mourinho fucking energy that, that Mourinho brought, Didier Drogba was definitely one of the reasons that I hated Chelsea. Just it felt like they were all against. It was against like Arsene Wenger. It was against Arsenal's principles. It was against Henri. It was against everything I loved. You know. What's interesting is is like when Wenger came along, it kind of pushed into this wave of like free flowing football, and when Mourinho came along, it conquered that. It was the antithesis of that. There was a level of like truth, and you would get into conversations where people would say, "You see, this type of football will always beat this type of football." Then when Guardiola came around and started dismantling Mourinho-led sides, I, I almost felt like took that as like a personal victory because <laughs> that was like, oh, you see, you know, possession-based football can win at the end of the day. Now, of course, Pep's taking kind of like a, <laughs> a supervillain turn, you know, maybe like <laughs> a Harvey Dent and the Joker, like yeah. either go out a hero or live long enough to see yourself become a villain. And, and I really <laughs> think like Pep yeah. is on the way to becoming ultimate supervillain. Why is that happening? Yeah, I mean, why is that why does that happen? Why? When you stay at the top long enough and you get a certain amount of power, things start to change psychologically, I believe. I mean, we've seen it with like a number of reformer politicians that turn out to be autocrats. I think <laughs> Pep has a has a streak of that in him as well. We should listen to some of the stuff that Yaya Torre is saying, but getting back to Drogba, I read a f- uh, quite a funny story I think about Leboeuf Leboeuf was at Marseille and they tried to bring, he tried to bring Drogba on the year before they actually brought Drogba on and he got rejected. And the, and the answer back was, who's Didier Drogba? And then the year after that is when uh, they brought him into Marseille, which was in 2003. And that was, you know, he had like a late, like you said, it was like a late kickstart in every bit of it, like professional at 21. And then Marseille um, in 2003 and then he was 20. Would you say 26, 27 when he joined Chelsea? Like, that's, that's late. And then what he did during that time is insane. And the peak of that is obviously that 2012, like I mentioned, that 2012 Champions League final. But, I mean, I think off the pitch, he has an incredible importance. Obviously, a lot of the, our exposure to players over the years, being that we are English speakers, Anglophones, um, is going to be their involvement in the English-speaking part of the world. But I mean, one of the things that I really like to explore is their influence on the rest of the footballing world. And while Drogba was born in Cote d'Ivoire, he grew up uh, predominantly in France, but still chose to play for Cote d'Ivoire. And he's had a lot of impact in his country. And, and I mean, his place in popular culture in Cote d'Ivoire was huge. I mean, his name was in numerous, uh, you know, songs, but like pop songs and hip hop songs and things like that. Um, mm. You know, I mean, he's been he's been very outspoken. I remember earlier this year when some French doctors were um, suggesting to test, and this is just horrific, to test um, like vaccines or to test coronavirus conditions on patients. They do it in Africa, 
and Eto what? and Drugba came out really strongly against this. As I mean, as everyone should have, honestly, but they were at the forefront. How can people still make those types of suggestions in 2020? Um, France is an interesting country. Let's say that these sort of colonial perceptions of the world they still very much exist i think i think you touched on this already obviously and you, you've gone in, gone in length about you know the work that he's done outside of football as well and i think he's he's a prime example of the type of player or the archetype of player that now we're seeing you know the ones that are involved in football but also using their celebrity to be able to drive through um different i guess not political messages but well i guess yeah a bit of the politics, but also pushing through and, and fighting against politicians, right? We've seen it before with, um, we've seen it now with like Marcus Rashford, we've seen it with Ozil uh, standing up for the Uyghurs in China. We've seen obviously Didier Drogba and, you know, we've seen Lilian Turam, obviously a, a, one, of the, one of the first drivers of that. And it's a big topic as well with social media now, like do these players have the right to step in and actually have these types of conversations? Like, is it their place to do so? And if so, to what end? And then to open it up to the other, like to the other side is like, what if someone's like just completely, you know, we, we talk about Bernardo Silva's, who he follows on Twitter, you know, like, you know, he's got the same sort of platform that someone like Marcus Rashford has, right? Probably not as vocal though, because he knows that he's probably going to get absolutely smashed. Bernardo Silva, that is. Um, but, you know, I mean, like, what, what is their responsibility in... Like, it, it, it's, it's like, how much of a say can they actually have at these players? Like, is it their place to do this? Speaking of Bernardo Silva, I mean, good for him. He likes to read and learn about the world. I'm just kind of disappointed with the direction he's chosen to go in, you know? I mean, if you haven't seen Bernardo Silva's Twitter follows, check it out. It's it's a trip, man. It's a, <laughs> it's a trip. Um, <laughs> when you pointed yeah, it out I mean, to me, when you pointed it out to me, and I was like, well, who's he following? And I just looked through it, and I was like, ooh. Oh, oh, I, oh, when I saw when I saw Bernardo for the first time, I think at Monaco, I was like, yo, this guy is going to be my new favorite player. Like this guy's going to fill the Iniesta shaped void that is coming when Iniesta leaves Barcelona. And just so disappointed, you know, just really yeah, disappointed. Human beings disappoint you sometimes, Justin. <laughs> All the time. Um, not, he's as disappointing as your Internet connection. Um Oh, but yo, not my fault. In terms of like, what is the responsibility? I think this is a good question because you want these people to be involved. I think her, I think it was Maya Moore, NWA, NWA, WNBA, idiot. <laughs> I believe NWA was a uh, rap group in the nineties, uh, Justin. NWA. <laughs> 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 All right. Um, <laughs> so the WNBA's Maya Moore. Nice. left basketball last year. I mean, she was, she was an, I believe she was an MVP at one point. She said that she went to help get a prisoner who was wrongly, con, um, wrongly convicted out of jail. And she succeeded in that. And that was like an incredible thing that she used her influence to do. They need to make sure they're talking through the right channels and take educated action. I would say, I would say that's my... I think what you mentioned about the right channels is important. Um, I mean, we also have to remember these players have a short career and sometimes the political stances they take actually affects their career unfortunately and hopefully that changes in the future you know um, whether it's a club president that disagrees with the way they feel about certain things or whether it's you know an agent that doesn't agree with the way they feel about certain things like it actually does have an effect on their career you know we look at Messi we look at Cristiano Ronaldo we look at Didier Drogba we look at you know Marcus Rashford we look at Ozil and we say 
look at the end of the day their career is almost set in stone like as long as they keep doing what they're doing and performing to a certain level they will always find another club other football players don't necessarily have that luxury and i think it's important for them to use the correct channels to drive their messages but they do have that responsibility let's break there and and go to legacy Yo, we is back on the streets. We'll remember. What up, what up, what up, what up? We're talking legacy. Didier Drogba. Justin, what we vibing, baby? <laughs> right. You are All so right. problematic. I'm going to start off with his Chelsea career because I think that's obviously a big part of his legacy. You know, yes. yeah, in terms of Chelsea, he's big. But in terms of his legacy in Africa and the diaspora, he is like a legend. And I think that's where we. that's really where we should start. I'm happy to start there and then we can come, we can circle back. Let's do it. I don't think there's a bigger figure. There might, in my opinion, there are probably better players, but I don't think any, either of them have the, I don't want to say necessarily cult of personality, but like maybe the status that Drogba does just for, for everything that he is as a, as a person beyond a footballer. Yeah. I think if we're talking legacy, you know, first world cup for his country, first goal for his country at a world cup captain from you know the, pretty much the majority of his career champions league winner outside of england and outside of france he played in china and turkey I mean, he had a good time in turkey and then he went to mls and and represented really well in montreal as well so i think i think you're right in terms of in terms of that i mean he i think he was personally responsible for making a lot of people's favorite african team the ivory coast or cote d'ivoire at the world cups you know like there's I think he was the leader of a very impressive Ivory Coast team that did a lot. He was the leader of that of that team, and he was very much the figurehead about like uh, beyond being the captain, he was the figurehead and really drew the attention of, of of I think the world around you know the fact that they were drawn in the group of death during that World Cup, I believe in two thousand ten. You know he was he brought that type of energy to to his country and to his sort of career, and I think you know that's a big part of the. I think it was. I think it was 2006, right? They were in the group with uh, with Serbia, Argentina. Yeah, it was that group. Argentina, Serbia, and Holland? Everyone was so excited to see Ivory Coast play because that team was really good. I mean, they had the Toure brothers. They had Drogba. They had Kalu. And then I remember uh, Boca, the outside back. I mean, they had, they had a pretty solid team. I think the weak point, at least nationally, was considered the goalkeeper. Yeah, everyone was... was like, hyped to see how far this team could go. And then they got, they got into this group with... Uh, with the probably one of the great, in my opinion, the greatest national team that I've seen in my lifetime. Yeah. And then obviously that Netherlands team was pretty strong too. In terms of obviously his playing career, you mentioned he's won a lot of trophies pretty much everywhere he's played. Um, and when I say that, I mean, where has he played? Like in the Premier League, the FA Cup, the football. Well, sorry, let me say that again. He's won major trophies, but I think if we talk about players that, you know, this stupid ass cliche about big players going missing in big games Didier Drogba wasn't that nine goals in nine finals is impressive to say the least he scored in four FA Cup finals and the Champions League final he did lose the 2004 UEFA Cup with uh, Marseille though he had like an absolutely amazing career from that perspective Um, and in that Champions League match I just watched the highlights before that and 
I drew four conclusions from that. One of which is football is super shit without fans. Super shit without fans. Like that match, the energy in that stadium was insane. Second, Thomas Mueller is a is a vampire. There's no way he's aged since then. <laughs> Three I without. Was, dr- I think he was born. I think he was born the thirty year old man. It's, it's it's insane. He looks exactly the same in 2012 as he does in 2020. Um, three without Drogba, Chelsea would have never won that match, and not because he scored the goals and obviously the fi- like the, pa- the final penalty and the goal, but he was by far the best player on that pitch. Like he was dragging them along the entire way, incredible. And without him, they would have never come close to winning that. And then number four, I totally mm-hmm. forgot that John Terry won- wore the full kit to celebrate with them, even though he didn't play. And it's amazing. Was that the Champions League? Yeah. It was the 2012 Champions League final. He didn't play, and then he rocked up on the pitch with the full kit. Was it was it 2010 that he missed his penalty? He slipped? That so. was one of my favorite yes. moments. I'm not a vindictive that was person. You, I really am not. Also, that was because like, Drogba got sent off. I just really wish the worst on John Terry because I think he's a horrible human being. And, um, yeah, so him dressing up in the full kit was kind of funny i've later heard that they like that wasn't his choice like they told him to do that but i'm sure if i was john terry i would also spread that rumor (laughs) that's right that's right cool uh let's break and we'll come back for the uh for the pantheon what do you say let's do it looking forward to this Welcome back. Uh, we are doing the Pantheon, and Hanny, you know, we could do a lot of things this day. Uh, we could do greatest African player. We could do greatest striker of all time. We could do a lot of things, but this is what I'm going to do. We're going to do a mental exercise. Okay. You are a Premier League, or let's say a Champions League center back, and you have to list your nightmare opponents. Where does Drogba rank on that list? So nightmare opponent means someone I definitely don't want to play against because they're going to give me hell. Yeah. I mean, do you know what nightmare means? Do I have to define? Do I have to like leave a dictionary by your fucking microphone each week? I'm gonna fucking fight you. I'll tell you what. You know what what my nightmare opponent is? Your internet. (laughs) (laughs) It is so bad. I'm so sorry. The entire state is in lockdown like what do you want me to do i can't do anything about it my door is open i told you about the internet waves man. leave leave the country <laughs> i can't Emigrate. i'm not allowed to i'm you not bastard. allowed to leave the country i'm you have, not allowed to you leave have the country. you have you have a u.s passport get out of that third world backwater and go to that other third world backwater <laughs> i can't leave i can't leave australia i'm not allowed to legally leave australia and i don't think they'll have me in the u.s i don't think i'm allowed back in the u.s either Dude, like it's life know, is hard and my other passport's Lebanese. What do you want me to do, man? I'm stuck. Okay. Nightmare strikers. All right. Nightmare um, nightmare strikers. Didier Drogba definitely is up there. Okay, let's do this. Let's do this. Let's define what a nightmare striker is to you. Okay, define. All right. Nightmare striker, to me, would be one that I wouldn't be able to physically uh, stand up against, which would be... So I he's stronger that, than you. Yeah, which would be 90% of football players. so somebody stronger than you yeah you go next 
for me, I think, look, if somebody's stronger than me and I know he's stronger than me, then I can mentally try to figure out a way around that. I would like to, I mean, I'd like to think, right? Like, okay, so like me personally, when I see a player who's stronger than me, of course, I'm an attacking player, so it's a bit different. But like, I'm not going to try to body up to him. And I think that was the problem for Senderos and a lot of players is like, they're strong players. So when, you're, when your strength is your strength, you <laughs> try to use that. And if somebody's strength is stronger than your strength, you're fucked. So, <laughs> you know, like for me, yeah, Drogba is stronger than me for sure. I mean, he's faster than he's, he's he, like, he, the, I'm Senderos in this, in this equation. Like his, all his stats are better than mine. But <laughs> if somebody's stronger than me, like I'm going to give them the strength side of things. You know what I mean? I'm not going to try to outmuscle them. I'm going to try to like, get them to foul me or something so in that sense i don't know if my nightmare striker is is like stronger is like just stronger than me like strength definitely has a thing but for me it's movement mm, that's a good one combined with speed Ooh. and well rather than speed i'll say speed of their feet like not in terms of running but like you know yeah. Because the thing is, if somebody's like always moving, the easiest thing to guard is a stationary figure. If you're constantly moving, what that does is when you're playing football, you're constantly taking in um, stimuli, right? You're always looking, you're checking the field, and they found that really good players, and this is actually something that, to give him credit, Frank Lampard did a lot, but the king was Xavi. Xavi checked the field like eight times more than the average player or something like that. He's just, head is always looking around. Because even if your brain is not saying to you verbally, hey, that's there, that's there, subconsciously you're taking in all these things. And that's how you make better decisions because you you just subconsciously are seeing a wider angle with more detail. When you're constantly moving, what you're doing is disrupting the defender's ability to do that. So any player that is constantly moving around like that, like think about somebody like Sergio Aguero. He's constantly playing off your shoulder, constantly getting into annoying spaces. And then speed of feet is kind of like the, let's say like the Usman Dembele sort of thing. Because here's the thing. I don't know if you've ever gone against somebody who had great one-on-one, you know, quick feet. But even when you have them in the best defensive position, they can still get by you. Like when you're face-to-face with Neymar, it's not like, okay, I got this, you know. Because even if you're as fast as him, even if you're as smart as him, like his feet are so quick that the second you think you've got the ball, you don't. So... Look, for me, I, like, Drogba is definitely up there, but I think my um, nightmare opponent would probably be Romario. Yeah, I was going to say, it's going to be one of the Brazilians from that era, Romario, Ronaldo, or Romario and Ronaldo. Um, that would be, that would definitely be high up on my list, okay. those guys. Romario, Ronaldo. Let's throw Henri on there because he's quick, has good feet, fast, he gave Jimmy Carragher nightmares. Ooh, Henri. Yeah, definitely. I feel like this guy would be up there, but only because I can't stand him. But I feel like he's also a nightmare. Diego Diego Costa. Yeah, he would be a nightmare. And he'd be a nightmare because he'd like rile you up. Yeah, he'd be talking about my mom. You know, I mean, so here's the thing. If you're Yap Stam, you don't give a fuck about Diego Costa. You just <laughs> no. look at him and be like, I will destroy you. So I don't care. But if yeah. you're young and if you're... I think it's a real mental battle because if Diego Costa gets the first one over you, the rest of the game, you're just like fists clenched. You just want to yeah. attack him. However, if you get the first one on Diego Costa and then you're like, yeah, you know, like that's when you can kind of 
get that's past right. them. But I, I agree. Okay, I would throw Diego Costa in there. Drogba, um, Drogba would Drogba was like a less villainous Costa. He was, he was definitely less villainous. Okay, I'm gonna throw a good one in here. How about Luis Suarez? <sighs> yeah. Nightmare because Absolutely. his movement, his goal scoring, his aggression, and yeah. he here's the thing: Suarez has something a little bit extra, which is that racial abuse. Like, well, yeah, well, also <laughs> yes, and that's not funny, but yes, biting racial abuse. Um, yeah, just a bunch of things his, in his locker. And he, I would really like to see him apologize, but I don't think that will come. He has uh, a certain level of aggression, so like his fight, he has a certain level of fight. You know what I mean? He has good feet. He, I mean, he used to have incredible feet. He has great movement. But one thing he had, which was crazy, is like, you know, with certain strikers, when it's between the two of you, you kind of know like, okay, I can just, I'm going to win this ball. I'm going to take this away. But Suarez was like, you know, when you're kind of shoulder to shoulder, he would be like a fucking, <laughs> what do you call those? Like a like a gopher, just like trying to yeah. dig through past you to get to that yes. ball. Absolutely not. So... I mean, there are obviously other great strikers. Like I would put, I think Aguero could could be in there, mostly for his movement. I mean, Eto had Lewandowski. everything. Lewandowski, man, yeah, he could be scary. Or Lewandowski, as Thomas Muller loves calling him. Muller is such a nerd. Did you see that um, clip? No, don't show it to me either. I don't I'm gonna send it to you. It's amazing. It's it's Muller in a conference going Lewandowski, you know. Levon Golski, like he says it twice, yeah. and it's just so funny. Yeah, he probably like the rest of the team is probably like partying, drinking champagne, and he's like on his phone, like finishing up a Scrabble game or something. <laughs> All right, I mean, let's let's play with these. So, who, where would you rank? I think that's a good list. I think he's definitely top five. I think he's top five. Yeah, I mean, he he was an absolute machine in every sense, like you said, like. His stats against most defenders, most teams, you know, his stats would be higher, right? If we were doing the whole FIFA FIFA thing, right? His goal scoring record, his strength, his speed, just everything. So he'd definitely be top five. Nightmares. So here's what I would say. I would say it really depends. If you can somehow stop the, the aerial game, I think he falls down the list. Like, he's still incredible, and he can still score goals, he can still dribble, he can still do everything, right? But the thing that terrifies me about Drogba is that he's incredible in the air, and I don't just mean with his head. His control and his ability to control the ball and then quickly execute something is one of the best, probably the best I've seen in football. Mm. And so Mm. I think if you can stop the aerial game He's less of a problem. He's still a problem, but like you have things more under control. But the thing is, is yeah. like, what well, any time that he the ball come in, it would be ninetieth minute. We're up two one, whatever. Any time the ball goes in the air towards Drogba, he's problematic. He's dangerous. Yeah. So I think I'm gonna put him honestly like full package. I think, like I said, Romario would probably be my number one. I think Suarez might be number two just because he's so annoying. I mean, Ronaldo would be a nightmare. We're talking um, R9 would be a nightmare of a striker to go against. But, like, you know, he also yeah. was just kind of quiet sometimes. He would just go kind of quiet until he got the ball, and then you're then you're scared, right? But I feel like, for me, Romario <laughs> yeah. was maybe number one here. 
And then if it's aerial game included, I might throw Drogba up there as like two or three. Um, without the aerial game, I would put him further down towards like the top 10. Okay, that's fair. All right, that's a good list. All right, the way I'm going to go with this, I'm going to go with like a nightmare, literal nightmare. You don't know what's coming, and next thing you know, it's in your head. Lewandowski. That's, that's, that's what I'm saying is like, Drogba was like, oh, yeah, we're making it through this game. And then suddenly the ball goes in there and you're like, "Uh uh-oh. Yeah, that's right. So I think my number one would be Lewandowski because he really is a nightmare. Like, he can do it all. He is just like, he coasts, and then next thing you know, it's a hat trick. Lewandowski of all time? Really? Yeah, I would say so. He's really cemented it this year as well. Okay. You think he should have won the Ballon d'Or this year? For sure. Without a doubt. Yeah. So I'll give him ultimate nightmare, and that might be a bit of a nod towards him winning the Ballon d'Or as well. You know, he kind of deserves something. So I think this list is definitely equal to the Ballon d'Or. Um, next, Luis Suarez. Luis Suarez is a good shout. I can't. I, I don't. I don't want to say too much. I don't want to say. I don't want to take anything away from Romario. I just haven't seen him. I personally haven't seen him play enough to be able to make that judgment. So he may very well be number one, but I can't comfortably say that without just agreeing with you, which you know I don't like doing. So, Luis Suarez is a pretty good shot for number two. I think Henri is number three. Okay. Uh, and then I'm going to go Drogi. Drogba. Drogba at four? Yeah. Okay. And that's like very tight with R9. But I've seen more of Drogba than I've seen of R9. Again. Okay. He was Fair an enough. absolute nightmare. Drogba? Yeah, I do miss I do miss him. Like I do miss him out on that pitch. I think he encapsulated so much of like my prime football watching years and I I do really enjoy I really miss him on the pitch. Yeah, I mean, I kind of miss like the rivalry and the the hatred. There's nobody like I don't have that that same kind of strong emotions mm. towards for or against players anymore. Yeah. You know. And yeah, and and I think I think you're right. I think it's just something that you have when you're when you're young and coming up to an extent, or if you feel really connected to your club. Which, yeah, let's leave it there. So you're gonna put Drogba at four. I think so. Aerial Drogba at two, and full package Drogba in the top ten. Good shot. Cool. All right, my friend. All right. We shall sign off. Um, tweet at us at TSWR Podcast. And at this is Hani Jabber and at Justin Salhani. Make sure you like, subscribe on all of your favorite podcasting platforms, and we will see you next week, won't we, Justin? We will do that. Au revoir. Bye bye. <laughs>